Hello, welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan here in Victoria, BC. For the next hour, you and I are going to discover some great jazz, including some on the fringes of the genre, sponsored by Peterborough Independent Podcasters. Today, part two of Jazz Bass. I spoke in last week's episode about the role that Jimmy Blanton, who died in 1943 of TB at the age of 23, had in developing a whole new style of jazz bass, one that allowed it to go beyond the timekeeping role. So many later bassists have cited Jimmy Blanton during his two-plus years with Duke Ellington as being an influence. The great Charles Mingus, became well-known in the late 1950s was one of those. He began by memorizing Blanton's solos from Duke Ellington records and became one of the first bassists to record horn-like solos incorporating bop and uh, giving his bass a large percussive sound while not wasting any notes. Mingus incorporated so many different sub-genres of jazz within his compositions and his playing. Program music, funk, blues, gospel, third stream music, which combined classical and jazz. There's bebop and its progeny, hard bop, and of course, free jazz. Most of his music was very much composed, yet still felt loose. Here's something from his most popular album, Mingus Ah, um, from 1959, open letter to Duke, Charles Mingus. Thank you. 
Charles Mingus, open letter to Duke from 1959, with Mingus on bass, Horace Parland piano, Booker Irvin tenor sax, Shafi Hattie on alto, Willie Dennis trombone, and drummer Danny Richmond. I mentioned how Mingus was influenced by Ellington bassist Jimmy Blanton, who died of TB at such an early age. There was another prominent bassist whose career was cut short due to tuberculosis, Paul Chambers. Here's the introduction for which he's best known. famous So What from Miles Davis Kind of Blue album of 1959. Paul Chambers was the bassist for Miles Davis for a number of years and was known for his large, dark sound, horn-like solos, very clear walking bass lines, super accurate intonation, and his use of bowing, which was pretty uncommon prior to his recordings, with only Slam Stewart being known for it. While he was best known for those classic recordings he made with Miles Davis, he was also the bassist for John Coltrane's famous Giant Steps album and one tune, Mr. P.C., Coltrane named after him. He also had his own groups, the Paul Chambers Trio and the Paul Chambers Quartet from the mid-50s to the early 60s. Here's a sample of his great bowing technique from an album called Bass on Top from 1957 with Jerome Kern's standard Yesterdays.
the Paul Chambers Quartet with Kenny Burrell on guitar, Hank Jones piano, and Art Taylor drums yesterday's. When I was at this past summer's UJAM jazz camp in Victoria, one of the instructors was bassist, Louis Redner, and two bassists that he talked about were Paul Chambers and Oscar Pettiford. He did a short talk to students about constructing a bass solo that I found fascinating, talking about both blues style and bebop style, the latter being as per the way that Oscar Pettiford would do it. I'm going to first play something by Lewis Radner, a beautiful illustration how a great bass player can make a good singer sound even better without needing any other instruments. Then I'll present a few minutes of him talking about the Oscar Pettiford style of constructing a bass solo. Here's a recording from Frankie's Jazz Club in Vancouver of Lewis Redner with singer Maya Ray, a Billy Joel tune called Vienna. Disappear for a while 
It's all right, you can't afford to lose a day or two. Ooh, when will you realize Vienna waits for you? And you know that when the truth is told, that you can get what you want or you can just get old. You're gonna kick off before you even get halfway through. Why don't you realize Vienna waits for you? When will you realize Vienna waits for you? Vancouver's Maya Ray with Victoria bassist Louis Redner. Here is Louis from a presentation he made in 2021 at the UGEM Jazz Camp in Victoria about constructing a bass solo, any kind of solo actually. I think you'll find it interesting. I did. Well, the ideal for any solo is to get into a flow state, kind of like a meditative state, where the solo just happens. This isn't always possible. And he talked about the importance of having some kind of a template just to make it through the solo. This is a plan or pattern for a solo. He talks about how he uses a template that Oscar Pettiford uses. Um, so I have a template for when I go to solo. I have multiple templates, right? So if it's a swing tune, I stole the template from Oscar Pettiford. Oscar Pettiford's concept, you could hear it on records like Monk Plays Duke, um, where he does these very incredibly simple but beautiful and fun, playful solos. So he quotes the melody. So it's A, A, B, A, the first four bars of every A section. He quotes the melody, but not exactly. He'll play around with it a little bit rhythmically. Usually the notes will be intact, maybe a couple extra notes. Quote the melody, and then the second four bars, he'll play some bebop language. What do I mean by bebop language? Outlining the harmony using embellishments like enclosures, altering extensions, playing flat nines, that kind of thing. That's bebop language, and there's a specific you know, set of things that people do. So he'll alternate this concept. For every A section, it'll be Actually, sometimes he even does it on the bridge. Quote the melody with, a, with, with some embellishment. So uh, there's a song called, I Let a Song Go Out of My Heart. Oh, yeah. The melody goes, Now I'm adding Oscar Pettiford's solo language. So what he does is, I'm changing it. So he'll play with the proportions of how much per A section is melody quoting. Sometimes it'll be four bars melody, four bars bebop. Sometimes it'll be seven bars melody, one bar bebop at the end, right? But the concept is some melody quoting with some variations. So you're not just playing the melody straight up, you're playing with the rhythm. Do, 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 ba, do, be, do, do. Right? Same notes, just the rhythms have been played with in a fun way, right? And then the bebop outlining chords with embellishments, right? 
So let's play that 1955 recording. Oscar Pettiford and his great bass work with Thelonious Monk, Duke Ellington's I Let a Song Go Out of My Heart.
Yes, Monk from Monk Plays Duke. 1955 on Riverside with the great bassist Oscar Pettiford and drummer Kenny Clark. Oscar Pettiford was very much a disciple of Jimmy Blanton, by the way, in terms of taking the bass beyond its pure timekeeper role. A few minutes ago, you heard Victoria-based bassist, originally from Michigan, Louis Redner. I want to play another Victoria bassist, Neil Swainson. He was raised in Victoria, even though I believe he's now based in Toronto. He has played with so many international greats and collaborated with trumpeter Woody Shaw on a couple of recordings. He put out an album recorded in Toronto for Concord Records in 1988, and it was a rare and obscure work for many years until it was released two years ago on the Cellar Live label. Here's a tune from the album called Port of Spain. Neil Swainson.
from an album called 49th Parallel. That's Neil Swainson with Woody Shaw trumpet, Joe Henderson saxophone, Jerry Fuller on drums, and Gary Williamson piano. How about some electric bass now? Let's start with an electric bassist I love, but most people haven't heard of. Then I'll talk about one much loved by jazz fans and musicians, especially those into jazz fusion. Here's the one I love. He's best known as the bassist who played for many years with the amazing songwriter-pianist Bob Duro. His name's Bill Takis. It's always a challenge for a bass player to play a slow standard and make it interesting. This is a tune that uh, Jack Teagarden made famous, and I love how Bill Takis makes those bass lines interesting, yet still tasteful. Bob Duro and Bill Takis with 100 Years From Today. And by the way, this track I couldn't find anywhere online, so I digitalized my LP version of it. So forgive the scratches. Thank you. 
Duro with Bill Takis on electric bass. Staying with electric bassists, British music journalist Charles Waring has posted his list of the 50 best jazz bassists of all time. Perhaps indicative of his funk soul bias, his top two are electric bassists. I'll talk about his number two pick next week. But number one, and probably one that many people agree with, is the late Jaco Pastorius, a member of the jazz fusion group Weather Report. I'm looking through a jazz textbook called Jazz Styles, History and Analysis by Mark C. Gridley, and he talks in depth about Jaco Pastorius. He states that when Pastorius joined Weather Report in 1976, the leader, Joe Zawinol, had always called upon his bassists to play in four distinct ways. They were, number one, the standard walking bass, number two, a non-repetitive interactive approach such as what we heard from Scott LaFaro in his playing with Bill Evans, number three, funk bass, based on repetitive, highly syncopated bass figures often filled with staccato notes that moves people to want to dance, and number four, the solo which wasn't as much of a demand until Pastorius joined the group. Jaco Pastorius was outstanding in all four of those roles. And in addition, he extracted chords from his bass and made use of overtones to make up what sounded like a whole band. I'll play two tracks from different Weather Report albums. First, from the Heavy Weather album, 
1977, here is Pastorius's own composition of Teen Town, with Wayne Shorter on saxophones, Alex Acuna, drums, Manolo Bedrina on percussion, and Joe Zao on all keyboards. Here, Pastorius demonstrates his funk abilities. Then, I'll play from a later Weather Report album from 1980, Night Passage, a tune called Dream Clock, where Jacob Pastorius shows his ability to do that interactive bass style, where he so beautifully complements Zawanel's keyboards and Wayne Shorter's sax. Two in a row.
Two in a row from Weather Report, featuring a man considered to be one of the world's greatest jazz bassists, the late Jaco Pastorius, who died after a violent confrontation in a bar at the age of 35. I don't know why so many great bassists were prone to an early end. At some point, I plan to do a program on various ways that jazz musicians have met their demise. That track, Dream Clock, featured Wayne Shorter on saxophone, Joe Zawin on keyboards, and composer Peter Erskine on drums, and Robert Thomas Jr. on hand drums, along with bassist Jaco Pastorius. Today, you're listening to part two of the bass in jazz, and there will be a part three. But I'll end this episode with another wonderful bassist who died prematurely, Sam Jones, although he was in his 50s. Jones was a stalwart of uh, Cannonball Adderley's band from 1958 to 1964 and put out many albums under his own name and was known for his split-second timing. This is the Sam Jones Big Band with Stella by Starlight from 1979, and you'll hear solos by uh, Sam Jones on bass, Harold Bick, alto sax, and a very early in his career, Fred Hirsch on piano. This is Larry Sadman saying bye for now.